Welcome to the Cup Kings of 98, a one-off podcast celebrating the 20th anniversary of a remarkable achievement. Chelsea Football Club winning three major trophies in a single calendar year. Many of the stars who etched their names in blues folklore two decades ago now will be back at Stamford Bridge on Friday the 18th of May of this year, 2018, to take part in a special Legends match. Zola, Wise, Viali, LeBerth, Di Matteo, Flo, Lasso, Desai. The names roll off the tongue. And there's a good reason why. For they helped form one of the most fun, glamorous, exciting, star-studded and successful teams in Chelsea history. Through the words of some of the main protagonists of a story that will never get old, this podcast will examine what made the class of 98 so unique, so popular and, ultimately, so memorable. The Blues began the 97-98 campaign in high spirits, fresh from a wonderful FA Cup success that ended the club's long wait for a major trophy. You can hear about that campaign in Blue Days, a previous five-part podcast series that covered that eventful season. We start this podcast in the summer of 97, when a number of new signings arrived to strengthen Ruud Hullet's squad. Experienced Dutch goalkeeper Ed De Hoy, Gustavo Poyet, an attacking midfielder with a reputation for goal scoring. A pair of promising youngsters, Celestine Babiaro and Tor Andre Flo, and Graham Lasseau, a former Blue who returned from Blackburn for a club record fee of £5 million. Well, it's a very different football club. Obviously, Chelsea were the first team that I signed for back in 87. You know, those six years, it was the first time I'd played professional football, so I didn't know any better. But when I left Chelsea and went to Blackburn, which, you know, was a very successful time for, for me over those four years, that was when I realised that what I'd been involved at Chelsea in the first period wasn't maybe the, the highest standard in, and Chelsea was going through a quite a turbulent time then. Um, so to come back looking at the club through different eyes, um, there were lots of familiarities, you know, a lot of people still around, particularly backroom people, been a lot of changes on the pitch, but a lot of familiar faces, obviously we're still training at Harlington as well, but the culture of the club had changed completely. And that had started with Glenn Hoddle, you know, Glenn took over as manager and, and really made the club much more professional, more thorough, better support structures for the, for the players as well. And then started bringing in the quality of players like the Franco Zolas and Ruud Hullet obviously came came in. And so it was a very different place when I came back. And, and I have to say the, the standards that the players were setting on a daily basis in training, the camaraderie sort of within the training ground, but also socially, you know, we spent time together as, as groups. Um, socially in London, so so it was a totally different experience for me. But it was a yeah, we had a fantastic time. It was a, a very important moment in terms of the club's history. I, I think that that it was a an era where the club probably got a a new identity in some ways from the previous ten or twenty years. People used to talk a, a lot to us as players about the team from the seventies, who were fantastic, had a lot of characters, were successful. Sort of the big gap between those two 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 teams, I think meant that fans, when we came along as a group and, and started being successful and playing the sort of football we did, people were just, you know, they just lapped it up. And, and it was a team full of strong characters, you know, a lot of leaders on the pitch, a lot of experience, big names and hugely talented team as well. So, you know, players like Gianfranco, uh, who obviously I think was the iconic player of our generation, he was one of the few people you could go to an away match and the away fans would, would applaud him for, for what he did. Um, you know, obviously I wasn't that fortunate that away fans <laughs> applauded me ever. <laughs> Quite rarely the home fans applauded me, no. So I, I think the characters of the, of the team were really strong. And if you look and see at what everybody's achieved since they retired, you know, half a dozen of maybe more of those former players have gone on to manage. Um, others have gone on to do, you know, other things, but all had successful post-football career time the Blues began the 97-98 season with four wins and five, the only setback being an opening day defeat at Coventry. The scintillating football often on display was evidenced by the barrage of goals scored from all over the pitch. We found the net 41 times in the first 17 league games, courtesy of 12 different scorers. By early December, after hat-tricks in successive weeks by Zola and Flo inspired routes of Derby and Tottenham respectively, we were second in the table. A genuine title challenge seemed plausible. But there were problems behind the scenes. Hullit and the club were in dispute over the terms of a possible new contract, including, famously, whether his salary was to be gross or netto. 
He was disdainful of the usual board manager protocols. But nonetheless, the situation still escalated very quickly. Yes, Chelsea's defence of the FA Cup ended against Man United in dispiriting fashion. And yes, the first leg of the Coca-Cola Cup semi-final hadn't gone well at Arsenal. But the Blues remained in that tie and, more impressively, sat second in the table with two-thirds of the season gone. At a hastily arranged press conference at Stamford Bridge on Thursday the 12th of February 1998, Chairman Ken Bates broke the news to the astonished assembled media. Ruud Hullet had been sacked and replaced by Gianluca Vialli. We were unable to match his demands, Bates said. It was not only the supporters and the media who were not expecting the news. The players too were caught off guard by the dramatic development, including the key storytellers in this podcast, Lasso, Captain Dennis Wise, Frank Sinclair, Eddie Newton, Gianfranco Zola, and first, Tor Andre Flo. Talking for myself, I was very shocked when uh, when Hullet left. Ah, oh, strange. It was a bit of a weird feeling, to be honest with you. It was a strange one. Very strange situation. It was all, yeah, very much a shock to us as players. Nobody that I was close to knew what was going on, so it was all done very quickly. Zola recalls problems on the pitch, and then Sinclair and Lasso issues off it. I remember we we started, uh, we struggled a little bit. A few players uh, didn't perform as well. There was a little bit of a, a change in atmosphere, mm. and I think Rude was not quite seeing eye to eye with a few of the senior senior players. We were doing well in terms of the competitions we were in, um, but there'd been a slight, there was a slight sort of change in dynamic before Rude lost his job. Eddie Newton was left puzzled by the decision, but he, like Lasseau, understood the need to remain professional. Not many managers get sacked in that situation. And you just think, what's going on here? You know, you think you're flying as a, as a club. It was a good feeling and then all of a sudden felt like someone had pulled the rug under our feet and then everyone's just clamouring to, to stay on course and keep going in the right direction. For us, I think, as players, because we were, were an experienced dressing room, we, we had to make sure that we kept momentum, we didn't let that distract us at all. Um, and I think our experience got us through that, that period of time. Even the new player manager, Gianluca Vialli, couldn't believe the turn of events. At, at that time, I was quite shocked. Um, I remember that uh, we're talking about probably end of January, I think, and um, I received a phone call from a guy that was actually speaking off be on behalf of, uh, like, another guy. They said to me, look, there might be a few problems uh, with uh, Ruud Hullet um, renewing his contract at Chelsea, so Chelsea would like to know whether you would be interested in becoming the new player manager for next season. I said, look, just give me a week, give me 10 days, I want to think about that. I'm still only 33, I don't know whether I'm going to be capable of becoming player manager, so just give me a week to think about that and I'll give you an answer. And then about two or three days later, the same guy called me back and said, look, the situation with Brooke Gullet is turning sore and uh, they, they're thinking about changing the manager now. Would you be interested in taking over as a player manager now? And, uh, and I was scared. I was very surprised, but uh, I said yes. I, I, I had a conversation with uh, Marcello Lippi, who's the manager at Juventus, and a few other friends that are involved in football. And I asked them sincerely to tell me whether I, they thought that I had the capability of you know, to do such a, such a difficult job, a new and special job, and they all told me to do it. It was also, you know, strange to see another uh, of our teammates like Luca taking over, and, uh, but that's, that's one of the things that happen in football, and uh, to be fair, uh, everyone was very professional and did, uh, did well. Luca Vialli got thrown in at the deep end, really taking the job on. I mean, I was a player manager, never coached or managed before, but obviously had a great deal of experience within the game. And the good thing he had was he had a group of players that wanted to play for him because, you know, Luca was a was a massive hit in the changing rooms. He, his his demeanour and, and, you know, the way he was loved by the players as a player, there was only one thing going to happen and the players were going to try their utmost to make him successful as a, as a player manager. He was very honest with... The way he was, you know, he, he said to us, listen, you know, I've never done this before, so <laughs> it's going to take me a while to get used to this, this new role, um, which I thought gave us the responsibility to make it as easy as possible for him on the pitch. If we're playing well, it makes his job a lot easier. He went from, 
you know, being a dressing room colleague to a manager, he moved office and got changed somewhere else and trying to sort of work between that line of being a player but being the coach and, and a different role, that was very difficult for him. And I know that, you know, it definitely caused a bit of friction within the dressing room for a period of time and a bit of insecurity. But from a professional perspective, we were we were completely focused and obviously, you know, that, that plays out in terms of the rewards we got that season. Wise had always had a close relationship with the Italian. It was a start of something new uh, when Luca Luca had uh, taken over. You know, uh, we all wanted to, to try and achieve things and we realised that we had a good team and we was going to compete and, and be able to win trophies. He had to change his ways a little bit uh, with the, uh, the personnel within the, the, the club, you know, the players, because you're the manager, you've got a responsibility. But I was always the same with him and he, he never really changed too much. He wanted to do it. It was something I think he, he probably always had in his mind. Whether it came quite sooner than he thought, I think it did at the time because he, he weren't expecting it. You know, it was, it was good and the timing, everyone was talking about the timing, our position in the league, where we were. And obviously Ken Bates decided to, to make that decision. And at the end of the day, it turned out to be the correct decision. Viali's broad experience in the game informed what he wanted to bring to the management table. I had very, very strong ideas because uh, as a player, I, I, I always kind of questioned what the managers, what, what my managers were doing uh, at different stages of my career, different clubs, and and I always had my own opinions. That you know, I I, I always got on with what the managers wanted me to do, but I had my own idea. Viali's managerial career couldn't have got off to a much tougher start. Arsenal were the visitors to Stamford Bridge for the League Cup semi-final second leg. Chelsea were fortunate to only be trailing 2-1 from the first game at Highbury, when we had been outplayed and outfought. Midway through the second half of that game, with the Gunners leading 2-0, Ed De Hoy made an outstanding save to deny his compatriot, Dennis Bergkamp. The Blues raced down the other end and halved the deficit through a typically brave Mark Hughes header. We got out of jail, Hullet admitted after the game. So the Blues had an uphill task when the teams reconvened three weeks later. It was a baptism of fire for Viali, who had an unusual pre-match plan to help settle the nerves. I'll never forget that when we played Arsenal at home in the, the League Cup, we, um, he'd give us a glass of champagne and wished us all the best, you know, and uh, it was a lovely touch. We didn't drink too much of it, we had a little sip, and we knew that we had to go out and, and perform. It was very special. Uh, yes, we had champagne before we uh, went out to play. Uh, never done it before, or not, not since, but um, something I will always remember. Uh, so we all got together in a, in a circle and we had a little cheer. Uh, it was fantastic and we went out and uh, we really played for each other and, um, uh, and we got into the final. It was a fantastic atmosphere, both in, in the group and, uh, and obviously around with the supporters. That wasn't the only thing Viali did that grabbed attention. He also switched the formation. It was just unforgettable. And uh, I remember, you know, talking about ideas. I had this idea that I, I think that with players like um, Sparky and myself, because of the you know, amount of uh, work that we, we, we put in our games, I thought that we could play. We could have played with, with, with three strikers. And, uh, and that was the first change that I did when I, when I first uh, uh, took the job, and it worked. It was an extraordinary game because um, Arsenal had just beaten us, beaten us up about a couple of weeks before, beating us 2-1, but it should have been worse. And I think we took them by surprise. We played a marvellous game. We had fantastic support from the fans. It was a very special night. It was uh, obviously it was edgy for everyone. Nobody was uh, knew what was going to happen, and uh, also the crowd. We didn't know what was uh, the reaction. But in the end, uh, good performance, and uh, you know, it did well. It's, I mean, it's one, it's one of those uh, sad moments in where uh, you know things happen. And uh, but for, fortunately, the, as I said, the reaction and uh, the outgoing was good. I think Arsenal in those, those days were a powerful team, very powerful, the, the players that they had, they had top quality players. So on the night, you know, I think the crowd got us through as well. Uh, I think we played extremely well and they didn't. So I think these were the points that, 
that went in our favour on the night and you, you have to have that little bit of lady luck and um, things have to go your way and, and it did and it did for us on the night. In Mateo picks up the loose ball and a fine effort and a great goal! Marvellous strike by Hughes! Oh, what a finish, a real striker's goal. Just turned in one movement, knew the goals weren't moving, had no idea where they were but he knows they ain't moving anywhere. And this is a great strike into the bottom corner. Hughes levelled the tarn aggregate with a smart finish on the turn. And after Patrick Vieira had been sent off for two bookable offences early in the second half, a stunning long-range goal from Roberto Di Matteo was quickly followed by a classy Dan Petrescu strike. Tremendous effort! Oh, my word! What a goal by Di Matteo! What an unbelievable strike. This is just unsavable. Absolutely unsavable. But he unleashes that with such venom. Pace, accuracy. Oh, you just don't save that. You have two goalkeepers in there, you don't save it. Zola with the corner, whipped in towards Viale on the near post. Arsenal get it away with some difficulty. Petrescu! Well, I said they had to clear their heads, they had to dig in and not lose a thumb. But that's exactly what they've done. And again, this is a goal of real quality. He could have lashed that, but he just took it down. Twice he's kidded them on. It put the tie beyond Arsenal's reach and rendered Bergkamp's late penalty a mere consolation. Chelsea had booked a spot at Wembley with a thrilling 4-3 aggregate victory. It was a great night. We celebrated after and we drank the rest of the champagne. I especially remember what happened to me after the game when I was just sitting on, on, the, on the bench in the dressing room thinking, why the hell did I say yes to, to, to the, the, the offer that was made to me? Because I, I thought that it was so stressful, so intense, so uh, I thought I was never going to be able to do it. But then it got better later on and, uh, and I had a fantastic time. Chelsea's opponents in the Coca-Cola Cup final in late March were Middlesbrough, the very same team we had beaten in the FA Cup final nine months earlier. Borough now resided in the first division, but still contained plenty of quality, including England internationals Pauls, Merson and Gascoigne. That they had beaten Liverpool over two legs in the semis only highlighted the danger they posed. Viali's men had to be careful and hardly arrived at Wembley in great form, having lost five of the last six league games. Two of the Blues' summer recruits, Flo and Lasso, enjoyed fresh experiences on that sunny March day. I'd played there a lot for England, so I was familiar with the surroundings and loved playing at Wembley. But I have to say that was my first club cup final and it was just fantastic. To, to, it was like a big family occasion, you know, and the family was Chelsea. And you walked out onto the turf there and, and, and seeing half the stadium, you know, full of blue shirts and the voice, the, the noise that Chelsea fans made. Uh, they not only did we win the game, but we won that contest as well. They were brilliant. The fans were incredible. I mean, it was really buoyant. It was part, quite a party, upbeat atmosphere. So I have really strong memories of, of that game. That was my first ever experience uh, of playing at Wembley. What a place to, to, to play football in. Uh, obviously, as a child, that was a dream to play there uh, in a cup final like that. And um, coming off as winners, walking up those stairs, and get the medals, that was, that was a fantastic feeling. We played well, we controlled the game, I thought. And Middlesbrough were a decent side, you know, they were a good cup side then, Middlesbrough. I remember playing against Paul Merson, you know, he was a dangerous player, a lot of quality. And they were a, a team that you couldn't, couldn't be complacent against. Brian Robson was obviously their manager. And it was a, yeah, it was a tough match, but we sort of settled into our pattern quite quickly there. And again, I think our, our quality and our, our, our level, technical level you know, that was a good stage for us and we, we, we played well in that match. They still had some top players, mm. you know, at the football club and, and even though they went down, they signed, you know, the likes of your Paul Gascoigne and, and people like that to try and get them back up. So, mm. <clears throat> for me, if anything, I thought they were going to be a tougher opposition than when we played them the year before in the right. FA Cup. I think the year before in the FA Cup, they was... They was a team, without no dis disrespect to them, they was a team full of names, but not really a team. 
you know, and they had some top names in their side who obviously went on, who moved on when, when they got relegated. But for me, I, I thought this was more of a team that we were going to be playing second time round. And obviously, you've got that little bit where they've been beat once before and scarred. So, you know, they, they wouldn't want that again. So we knew it was going to be a tough opposition second time round. And I thought we went into the game with no complacency whatsoever. Frank Sinclair is right. Chelsea didn't underestimate their lower league opposition, and that led to a cagey encounter full of blood and thunder but little final third quality. Mark Schwarzer, between Borough's posts, made a number of good saves. Down the other end, De Hoy had little to do. Midway through the second half, Middlesbrough boss Brian Robson introduced Gascoigne off the bench. It livened proceedings up. He was instantly booked for going through the back of Zola, and then Wise, Newton and Gazza got into a midfield scrap with our captain flying into their star opponent. Me and Wazi spoke to each other and set that one up a 50-50 between ourselves. One of us would have to go in and someone would come flying in afterwards. <laughs> Basically, we knew he would be a danger if he came on and he could stimulate something. And he, you could see how pumped he was from his eyes when he was coming on. He was like really pumped. So we, need, we needed to take something away from him because we thought he could stimulate something from Middlesbrough. So we dealt with it accordingly. It finished goalless after 90 minutes. Extra time and possibly penalties would be required to separate the sides. For Frank Sinclair, the highs and lows that sports so often brings about were crammed into a tumultuous hour. Luca decided to, to change the formation and bring Steve Clark on, if I remember rightly. And we went to three at the back and he pushed me on from right back to right wing back, which was a strange one. But, you know, my thought process at the time was we had Dan Petrescu in the team. For me, he was one of someone who I, I enjoyed playing with so much. We, we built up a great partnership yeah. and he played right side midfield and I played right back. But he could equally play right back or right wing back. And for me... You know, right wing back was probably his best position. You know, didn't have to uh, defend as much, and he was brilliant on the ball. So I was very surprised when he took Dan Petrescu off to push me there. Um, and during that period, I actually got injured as well. I pulled my groin um, in in the late late in the second half. I think I pulled my groin and then obviously went on to score the goal after that yeah. and get through the game, but we couldn't make any more substitutions, so I couldn't come on, come off. So I ended up carrying on playing with that injury, which obviously cost me the rest of the season because that was the last game I played. I got injured and missed the, you know, the rest of the season. That was cruel on Sinclair. But maybe, in hindsight, it was the best possible way for his playing time at Chelsea to end, with the opening goal in a cup final at Wembley. I remember I started the move. I think Paul Paul Gascoigne played the ball out wide and I intercepted it. And then I played the ball into Gianfranco. Gascoigne, I don't know he tried to let that run, but it's fallen for Sinclair. This is Zola. In the middle of the park and he switched it out to Wisey. And I just kept running. I just kept running because I'm, one thing you know with Wisey, when he got in wide areas, he, he would put great delivery in the box. So I just gambled that, you know, he'd get a decent crossing and maybe I'd get in there on mark. Wise free on the right-hand side. Four Chelsea men waiting for a cross. But his first touch, very surprising with Wisey because he had a top first touch. His first touch was loose and um, it was going to the byline and there weren't many people on the pitch that probably thought Wisey would get to that ball, mm. but I did because I'd seen him in that position in training and stuff like that so many times before. And he always used to do that lark stitch cross and just fall over. And I visioned what he was going to do before he actually done it, and that's what made me get in the box. Wise took it back, and there's Sinclair, and there's the goal that Chelsea have been waiting for. It's come from Frank Sinclair. And obviously, you know, he put a great ball in, and it was on the head, and, you know, I just, you know, textbook header really, headed down. Always the hardest place for a goalkeeper to try and save it. Dennis Wise hooked in across, where the ball seemed to have run beyond him, and Frank Sinclair up in the Middlesbrough penalty area to head Chelsea into the lead with five minutes of extra time play. Sinclair and Eddie Newton's long-standing friendship was an endearing footnote in the class of 98. Now they had both scored at Wembley for the club they loved. Eddie weren't the type that sort of like um, give you stick and stuff like that, but I knew deep down he was buzzing <laughs> that he'd scored in a cup final and I had him because, you know, from the age of 11, me and Eddie had always been competitive, but it was a healthy 
um, competition we had with each other that yeah. made us both kick on and, yeah. and you know keep to the highest levels that we could as we were becoming players at Chelsea coming through the academy. So uh, when he scored, to be fair, I was obviously buzzing that he scored in the final, but I was gutted at the same time. <laughs> so, um, you know, for me to get a goal back in the League Cup final certainly settled that argument. My main memories of it is when Frank scored, he ran up to me and he said, anything you can do, I can do as well. Because obviously I scored in the, the previous Cup final, so he said, I was not going to allow you to get away with that one. So uh, I was cracking up. But um, no, pleased for him, pleased that we won and... Uh, There'll always be strong memories with Frank. Well, he's left me with a few memories. <laughs> In the second half of extra time, we made sure of the victory. Chelsea corner, which Zola will take. He's found a way through, and Di Matteo has made it 2-0. Oh, soft goal, but such an important goal for Chelsea. It's given them clear breathing space and a clear sight of the Coca-Cola Cup. Roberto Di Matteo, who broke Middlesbrough hearts with a goal inside a minute here last May, has maybe broken their resolve in the Coca-Cola Cup final in the second period of extra time. Zola's assist, a low corner, wasn't as eye-catching as the one he registered in the FA Cup final the year before, but it was just as effective. It was never a plan. <laughs> never, we never planned, no, actually. We used to try some, some corners, some free kicks, obviously, but depending on, on the situation. So in the, in the opportunity, uh, in that particular case, we, we, we just came up with uh, that solution. It was uh, very effective. When you're going in as favourites, um, you have to be careful and to make sure that you're focused on what you're going to do because um, the pressure's on you and you've got to make sure you perform. And, you know, it was a difficult game and we they took us to extra time. And then we, um, a quality, I think, um, see us through in the end. A good day at Wembley. We won it, which was important, and we carried on and started to win more trophies. With one cup already under our belt, the focus now turned to trying to win another before the season's conclusion. Alongside league commitments and the successful Coca-Cola Cup run, the Blues had been competing in the Cup Winners' Cup, a prestigious European competition we had won once before in 1971. A comfortable victory over Slovan Bratislava got our latest continental adventure up and running. The draw for the second round took us to the Arctic Circle and Tromso, a city in northern Norway. The first leg was away from home in late October 97. What followed was one of the most memorable matches in the club's history. Eddie Newton takes up the story. Uh, it's just a cra it was a crazy game. It was a crazy game. No one can ever forget it. It's just... So you just bring that up in a room and everyone will start laughing and bringing up memories of it. You know, even fans that had travelled. I, I couldn't believe there was, <laughs> we saw Chelsea fans. I was like, huh? <laughs> I remember it just started from the beginning. I remember I said to the kit man at the time, uh, Oz, bless him. I said, you need to bring Under Armour tights and all that for the game because it's going to be freezing. He goes, yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. We'll, we'll get it all sorted. I said, OK, great. So uh, we arrive at the game. And I looked at my my kit bundle, and there's no Under Armour. Turned around, Oz. Oz, where's the, the tights that you know? He said that he was gonna get. He went, oh yeah, sorry, I didn't put them out. I just thought I'd save them. So then he just chucked us women's tights. Started chucking women, women's tights across the change room. And I said, ah, well, I started laughing at him. Say, yeah, yeah. Chucked it back and said, come on, man, come on, I need to get dressed. And he went, what are you laughing for? That's, and I went. You literally got us women's tights to go out and play football in. Are you? <laughs> and that, that was it. I lost my head. And then, like, Rudy calmed us down. And then, like, then we went out freezing cold. We put Vicks, DP, everything on us to, to, to get through the, the thing. And at the beginning of the game, it was like, it was, OK, for the weather, it, was, it had snowed already, but it was quite mild. It wasn't freezing cold as, like, you expect it to be. So in the warm-up, it was actually going, oh, it's not too bad, we could get through this, you know what I mean? So pitch was not great, but playable. So we felt, oh, right, we, can, we can do this. I don't know how long into the game it was when the snow started to come down, but I, did, I didn't see Rudy, but Andy Myers was telling me that he never laughed so much on the sideline with Rude. Rude was going absolutely crackers because at one point you couldn't see where the lines were. So he's going, it's impossible. You can't play the game telling the fourth, telling the rare. And then he, 
he went to swipe something and kick something and what was underneath the snow was ice, a block of ice. So he's kicked a block of ice and he's going, oh! And everyone in the back is like trying to hide their laugh. <laughs> and he's still going crazy trying to say, then they brought on sweepers to sweep the snow and so we could see a line. We're all looking going, you can't do this. <laughs> and the guy, the ref looked at us and said, the game, no matter what happens, is not getting called off. I was going, do they want us to lose or something? Yeah, well, you know what I mean? And they said, listen, we can't transfer it. We have to, because of the, uh, apparently the, the backlog of games and everything, they just said, this yeah, is, yeah, last chance. You have to play this game and get it done. So, <laughs> and then I just remember in, I think in the second half, it was the snow was just a blizzard coming towards you. And I was running down the pitch because we was attacking and the ball just hit me from nowhere. And everyone shouted out, oh, great Eden. And I went, I didn't even see it coming. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't see it coming. It just hit my head and like, it, was, it was that bad. It was really bad. And then I think the, the saviors of the night were Andy Myers and uh, if I remember correctly, Andy Myers coming on and Viali coming on and scoring, scored two goals. Andy Myers was magnificent. There was a, they, they got in a couple of times and he just cleared them out with his pace and, and sniffed out the danger and, and made some decisive tackles and just kept us in the tie, really. We lost, the three, was it 3-2 we lost? Yeah. And then we came back to the Stamford Bridge and absolutely hammered them. It showed the character of that, of that team that, you know, against adversity and against everything that was thrown at us that night, yeah, we lost the game, but we kept ourselves in the tie and, and, and that was put us in a great shape for when we went home. After a 3-2 reverse in snowy Scandinavia, class told in the second leg as the Blues ran out easy 7-1 victors. That set up a quarter-final tie with the high-flying Spanish side Real Betis. And it is the first leg in Andalusia that Newton brings to mind when he analyses the tactical setup of the class of 98. We were fine with tactical switches because we had played 3-5-2 under Glenn Hoddle and then I can't, we kind of maintained it under Rudy. Uh, then, but at some occasions, I think Rudy wanted to go with two up top uh, and go with a more traditional 4-4-2. You know, going 4-3-3, the way Luca played it, especially when we played real Betis away, was as a midfielder was the worst formation I've ever played in because we played it at a flat 4-3-3. You know, the way we play it now, the wingers would drop in and make a five. There was no making, the wingers just stayed up and looked at us while we three were running all over the place trying to deal with everything. And I remember Torre scoring two goals on the night, just sitting up, up top doing nothing and then the ball come to him. I think I lost five pound in that game easily. Easily, I sweated so much. I've never run so much in all my life. But the other one, the 3-5-2, very comfortable um, in that formation. 4-4-2, I played it most of my career leading up to Glenn Hoddle. So it wasn't much of a transition. 4-3-3 was a little bit different, especially the way Luca wanted us to play it that game. The three found it very difficult because we had to cover a lot of ground. Didn't know whether who was going to push in on the six, who was going to stay, and it, it, it got difficult on the night. And then midfield players were technically very good, as you would expect from Spanish players anyway. So that, that was a very difficult night for us. Um, but in general, we dealt with all the formations. We had an intelligent, good group, and uh, you know, we work on it and make sure that we understood what our, our tactical discipline had to be within the game. And then, and hopefully it would pan out in the, and we'd be more successful than not. Against Betis, it did pan out the way we wanted. The Blues advanced 5-2 on aggregate. Vicenza, who had beaten Napoli in the previous season's Coppa Italia final, would be our semi-final opposition. They had only been in Europe once before, and the first leg, which took place the midweek after our Wembley win, was probably the biggest game in their history at that point. The 21,000 capacity Stadio Romeo Menti was filled to the brim. Like in the first leg against Betis, Viali opted to play three up front, but this time it didn't work. Chelsea lost 1-0. We run forward again by the long Zauli. Great effect that time, he's beaten the high. 1-0 to Vicenza on the quarter mark, and Lamberto Zauli gets the goal. What you have to realise in, in sort of European football, and I think 
particularly with the, where the cup winners cup, maybe the Europa League's a bit like that now. You go to stadiums that are, are, are quite different, you know, to, to yours. The atmosphere was incredibly hostile. Everything seemed very close to the pitch and it can unsettle players. And you try as a player in those environments to take the sting out of the game, but we weren't, we weren't as good, I don't think, when we were trying to slow the tempo down. We were better playing sort of high intensity football, breaking forward in numbers. And, and against Vicenza, we came unstuck. It was a disappointing result. We were, the, we were clearly the favourites. We were the named, you know, the, the bigger name in terms of the teams. But they were a good side. They really were. They, they had a real identity. I think we was too cautious. OK, the away game, you, you usually are cautious anyway, but I just think we was a little bit cautious. And then, I don't know, that's, during the game, certain things happen and you let the chains off. And, and it was getting a little bit bitty, the game as well. They, they were very good at breaking up the game. Whatever they could, they could break up the game. They were getting into our faces. They were doing all little bits and pieces off the ball, which uh, one of them I could have, I could have, I could have got sent off. Literally, I remember. But yeah, you had to hold your discipline. Coming back to Stamford Bridge, you know that game was a huge game for us in terms of how we had to had to play, but also going a goal down against them to deal with that that negativity. You heard the crowd really become very quiet. To start a game that where you know you have to come back one goal and then you concede another goal straight away and uh, whoa, it's not easy. For that moment, uh, no many would, you know, believe that we were going to come back. But going 2-0 down on aggregate, it seemed as if, you know, as, as much talent as we had, that was going to be a difficult scoreline to overhaul. But then we, we played brilliantly. The football we played that night was sensational, I felt. Despite the crowd getting quiet, we never lost them. And then once they saw us sort of starting to recover, they were just, they were brilliant, the fans. It was an incredible atmosphere. It's probably the best atmosphere I think I played at, at Stamford Bridge. People always talk about that game. The Vicenza fans were amazing as well. The atmosphere in the second game was outstanding. It was outstanding. And, you know, that, that famous kind of European nights that we're used to now in Champions League football is stimulus from there, you know. That, that, that semi-final, everyone, you could feel the whole stadium just get right behind everybody. I think, I think the crowd felt it as well, the, the way they were knocking at us and little things and it got to the crowd as well and they really got behind the team. And I think that was the stimulus to get us over the line, to be honest with you. And you know when you say the crowd can be the 12th man sometimes, I think that night it literally was. It was the desire to, to and we knew we had the quality, and sometimes things don't go your way for a period of time, but you have to keep keep going. And knowing the quality that you have actually in that dressing room and the players you have in the dressing room, you know something's going to happen at some stage. You know, and it did. You know, I think Gus, obviously, we missed Gus for a while because that season he was injured and he came back. And that was a wonderful finish, the first goal for him. We knew we, as soon as he scored, we knew we was going to get back into it. We scored just before the, the end of the first half with uh, Gus Boyer. So into the corner for Viali. And that's one way of doing it. The Sos continued his run and the ball will just died there in the corner. It's a good cross. Zola. Oh, great save. Oh, it's in there. And it's play. The Uruguayan. A vital goal for Chelsea. just could not keep that shot out from Zola. It was too hot to handle. Great finishing, though, by Poye. So we got a match on our hands. That was very important because it allowed us to go into the, into the, the change room to, to reorder our ideas and come back on the pitch stronger. It was Zola who then put us ahead on the night. Always is so hard to get the goals in there. That's a fantastic cross and what a header! Zola! The Italians have done it again. A pinpoint cross by Gianluca Viali. And wow, what a header. There's not a goalkeeper in the world who could have kept that one out. And just look at the pace of this break. Viali down the right, he knows.
knows who he's aiming for. And Zola, it's a bullet header. And Brivio is beaten again. It was good. It was a very good impact header. But I got to give a lot of credit to Luca because his cross was really good, strong. And I was running on the second post and I impacted the ball very well. It was a good goal, really. But Vicenza still led on away goals. Chelsea needed another to go through. Enter Mark Hughes. The old warhorse, now 34 years old, was brought on with 20 minutes remaining. He conjured up a passage of play as spine-tingling to watch now as it was then. Tahoe came out in the nick of time yet again. Long, long clearance from him down to Hughes. Well, Hughes is one of those that uh, obviously can ruffle people up and uh, he was there to, to do that. He came on, but he's also a quality player. And um, it was a flick on with his head and it's bounced and he's, he's hit this wonderful volley that's gone in the bottom corner, you know, and I think the whole place erupted. And then it was just about keeping our call after that and making sure we could see the game through. I remember as well there was a great save by Ed Hoyer right at the end. And if he didn't get his fingertips, it was him at full length and stretched and he just got his fingertips to, to the ball, just taking it away from their centre forward who, who was there for a tapping. And that was more or less the last kick of the game. The second leg was the maddest 20 minutes um, probably that's happened in, in my lifetime in football. So yeah, bizarre night, but a wonderful night. To be in a final of, uh, of a European Cup was, um, was obviously something very special and, and also for the supporters, I think, because Chelsea hadn't done that for many, many years. For the second time in a couple of months, the Blues had recovered from 2-0 down on aggregate in a semi-final tie to progress. Lasso and first Newton pinpoint why that team was so capable of comebacks. We're just a good team. And it's not only talented. There's been many talented teams that, that are not a unit. They've just got individuals and they, they function off the individual. And then when the individual gets nunnified, by the opposition, then they haven't got much else to offer. Where we were a team that are good players individually, but we also was a good unit. We, I think we were the first English team, in my opinion, to be able to put a, a, a European dressing room together and be successful with it. Because many others, in my opinion, had tried and felt when we were starting to dip into bringing foreign players over and so on and so forth. The culture was so strong here that it was very difficult for people to adjust, but I, I suppose being in Chelsea, having that, that kind of way about, you know, a more open environment to accepting the foreign cultures in, I think that's what helped us embed all these players into the squad and having that English essence, but with a European style as well. So it, it, just, it just worked. It worked. We had, good we had good players, but good people in the dressing room. You know, and, uh, and, that, and that's what happens. That's how you get to finals, that when, when the going gets tough, because there's always going to be a stage where in a game it's not going well, things are not going to plan. You need individuals within that group to step up. And, and we always had individuals, either physically or technically or vocally, would step up and do something and, uh, and lead, basically, in, in whatever capacity they could. So that's why I think it was the ability that, well, that's why we had the ability to go on and win things. It's players believing in themselves, believing in each other. So, you know, you've got people like Mark Hughes on the pitch, Gianfranco, Gustavo, I think they're the three that scored against Vicenza. You know, Viali, uh, you had Dennis, you had so much experience, Dan Petrescu, you know, myself play, you know, we'd, we'd all played international football at a high level and we're at that stage in our career. So I think when you're an experienced player, when you've got an experienced group, you can, you can take comfort in the fact that you'll continue to do the right things, you'll continue to, to have that quality. You won't let it affect your performance 
Um, and if you lose, you lose trying to do the right things, you don't collapse. And we were very good like that. We rose to the occasion and, and again I think that says everything about character of individual players and the identity of the squad. With a place in Stockholm secured, the Blues saw out the remainder of the league campaign with much changed teams. Dimitri Karin kept goal, and the likes of Laurent Chave, David Lee, Andy Myers and John Harley were given extensive game time to keep the stars fresh for the Sweden showpiece. Unfortunately, it didn't all go to plan. Wise, Zola and Lasso all picked up injuries in the closing weeks, while Sinclair was still suffering from the groin problem he sustained in the Coca-Cola Cup final. Wise and Zola were the lucky ones. There were some decisions and that was another game I, I nearly missed. There was me and Franco that had to go to Italy and have some treatment done. I made it and I think Luca decided to put Franco sub at the time, uh, which I think upset him. For me personally, I remember that uh, 20, 20 days before the match I got injured against Liverpool and I never thought I was going to play that game because of the, the type of injury, uh, injury I had. So I work a lot to, to be back and uh, thankfully I had uh, good treatment and uh, you know when I joined the, the team a week before to, for, the, for, the mess, for the preparation of the game I was so thrilled, so happy and uh, you know I know then there was a little bit of frustration I didn't start but uh, then when I came on I, I, I had a very good impact on the game and, uh, and I was glad for that. Sinclair and Lasso were less fortunate. I still went along part of the team. I actually got a medal because I played in every every round apart from the semis and the final. So, you know, I was I was lucky enough to get a medal as well, but it's never quite the same as actually playing and, and winning it and being out there in that way. But you know, we was all we was all there to to celebrate and, and, and basically support the team going into what was we knew was gonna be a tough game. It was really difficult. It was it was really difficult. We didn't have that structure, that support structure around us that the players today have, and that held us back. And certainly for me, it was responsible. The training ground and the lack of quality was responsible for a couple of injuries that I picked up, and it was it was really frustrating. And I actually, Dennis Wise and myself were rehabbing, trying to get fit for the for the Cup Winners Cup final um, together, and we. We were building our program. We were out running and, and improving all the time. I had a small calf injury, and we started doing more sort of physical work. And he continued to improve. And in one session, I just felt my calf just ping again. <laughs> and it was probably only I don't know a week before the final. And as soon as I did it, I knew that was it. So it's yeah, it's it's difficult. I've I've I had a couple of big injuries as a player. I missed Euro '96 with a horrific ankle injury. Obviously missed that cup final, um, and I missed the Euros in 2000 as well. So, you know, it, it, it's the hardest time for a player, but it's something where you have to, one, you have to learn how to cope with those situations, and two, it makes you appreciate more the times that you you are fit and the occasions that you do make matches. But, you know, I was very much part of that squad for that whole campaign, and 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 felt, you know, front and centre of of sort of the team in terms of the preparations, although I couldn't be out there on the pitch, I was with the guys all the way and it was it was a, a great opportunity for a young player Danny Granville to to play in that final and um, and he played really well so I was you know really pleased for him. The other two protagonists in this podcast, Newton and Flo, were left with mixed emotions after Viali named his team. It was a bittersweet pill because I didn't start in that game and uh, I remember me and Gianfranco didn't start we played, I think both of us played in every game up to that point. So it was a bit, a bit of a hurtful thing, but at the end of the day, you had to get behind the team, and which we did. And then at the end of the day, both of us came on, like, and he scored and I came on and we locked the game out and we won the game in the end. So, you, you know, you can't let these things affect you because you never know what you're going to do in the game yourself and when you're going to be called upon. Very proud moment to, to start in a, in a game like that uh, with the competition I had. But then again, I think uh, we all respected each other. Uh, we had a great atmosphere in that dressing room and we all wanted to win. We wanted to do our best to win. So even if we were on the bench and came on, we tried our best. If we were on the pitch and came off, we just told the other lad good luck. Um, and um, we, were, we were together as a group and uh, it, was, it was great to, to be playing for that team. 
Around 15,000 Chelsea supporters descended on the Swedish capital, hoping to see their heroes lift European silverware for the first time in a generation. Stuttgart had, along with Chelsea, been favourites to win the competition from early on. Managed by Joachim Love, they were a powerful side who finished fourth in that season's Bundesliga. Viali had decisions to make. With Lasso and Babiaro injured, 23-year-old Danny Granville started at left-back. On the opposite flank, Steve Clark, 11 years Granville's senior, played his 421st and final Chelsea game. Michael Dubry was suffering from palsy, but was selected alongside Leberth in the centre of defence. For the one-off final, Viali returned to the midfield diamond that started the season. With Wise at the base, Petrescu and Poyet ahead of him, and Di Matteo positioned behind the strikers. The player manager started himself and tore Andre Flo up front. I felt uh, during the game things were going well. I thought we were on top of them. And um, I really felt that we, we could win this uh, when we were out there playing. Stockholm was a scrappy game. It was, um, I think we started off quite nervous about it, the whole situation. But on the night, we, we deserved it. We were probably the better team and had the better chances. They had one or two good chances that, that, um, from our mistakes. But apart from that, you know, we got ourselves uh, the goal that we needed and that was a wonderful strike by Franco and it won us the game. It was quite a nice ball for him, but his finish was, uh, made it look exceptional. 21 seconds was all it took for the substitute to make the difference. Franco Zola, who has also made a huge contribution, comes on. He and uh, Di Matteo scoring three times. Viali has six. Leading scorer in the competition has eight. And that was the man who scored for Vincenzo. Here's Zola! Goodness me, you couldn't write that. Suddenly played through the middle. It would appear that Stuttgart hadn't realised he'd come on. And he's applauded by the man he's just replaced. Suddenly found a hole in the middle. Beautifully played through by Wise. He got between the two defenders. Crack. High into the roof. What are your first thoughts when I bring that game up? Uh, maybe I should have celebrated a little bit better. <laughs> I look like I was somebody, you know. No, apart from the joke, it was a, it was a, it was a great performance for us. I mean, it's a great victory, and uh, the whole team deserved that. It was a great occasion, you know, to win a European trophy. Um, I said it many times before, uh, growing up at Chelsea, all you heard of was about the 70s boys, rightly so. But after a while, you get sick and tired of hearing about it. So you had to go, we, we were fortunate enough to go and make a bit of history ourselves. Uh, and so for that reason, it was good to, to align yourself with the 70s boys and, and also to try and push on and, and excel further than them. Well, the celebrations were, were amazing. I mean, the, remember the Chelsea supporters, they were going crazy about that. We were going crazy. And, uh, you know, one of the one, a great day for all of us. It was a great day for me in particular because I think, uh, was it uh, one or two years earlier, I lost the same final with Parma. And uh, so to, to be able to win it was, uh, was fantastic. Well, we're well known for celebrations in the FA Cup. I think we broke every record for celebrating after. Again, the dressing room, how it was, you could tell what, what the dressing room was like. We knew how to celebrate, but we also knew how to go to work as well. So if you can get that balance right in the dressing room, it usually bodes well that you're going to be successful. I was going to say that I couldn't remember much of the celebration. <laughs> it was a long night. Uh, no, at the stadium, obviously, uh, a lovely, uh, great celebration with the supporters. There was a lot of uh, supporters that travelled over and we had a wonderful time running around on the pitch there. And um, finally, to have that feeling of winning something big, it was, it was great for all of us players. I still got a, a picture in my head of um, one. It was a wonderful night with the fans were fantastic. But Tony Banks, I God bless him. Uh, I remember him. He had had a few drinks and he was on our plane on the way back and sitting in the corner with the Cup Winners' Cup trophy and a beer and um, just relaxing, enjoying the moment. And I still got that photo now. 
and it was a wonderful, um, wonderful time for everyone within in that football club. The management, the players, the people up above, the staff. So it was, um, it was great, great fun. The fun didn't end there. At the beginning of the following season, 98-99, we had the chance to compete in the Super Cup, held between the winners of the Champions League and the Cup Winners' Cup. Real Madrid had beaten Juventus by a single goal in the continent's biggest tournament a week after our win over Stuttgart, so the world's most successful club team would provide our opposition at the Stade Louis II in Monaco. Three new arrivals started the game for Chelsea, Albert Ferrer and World Cup winning captain Marcel Desailly in defence, and another Italian striker, Pierluigi Casaraghi. Our opponents' lineup included many household names Raul, Sidoff, Rodondo, Savio, Carambeo, Hierro, Roberto Carlos. I enjoyed the build up to that game. You know, that was the first time in Monaco. Not a bad place to go. <laughs> Super Cup for me was, a, was an opportunity to, to show at the start of the season how competitive you're going to be and to, you know, to play against Real Madrid. You know, I, I was marking Raul for most of the game and uh, you know, they, were, they were a phenomenal team. And they wanted to win. You know, it was a game that it wasn't a, a warm-up match. It was a, it was a match that, that I think both teams saw value in. But again, we played well. It was a tough game. We had to contain them, you know, dealing with the quality that they had and the individual quality and the speed and movement. You know, that was, it was a tough, tough night for us. Luca changed the team slightly. Um, I ended up playing on the right-hand side against Roberto Carlos because he felt that I was the, the right person to be able to, to stop his threat because I could run and run and run. And uh, he put me on that side and that was um, just something different for me. At the beginning of the season, the pitch was terrible. It was cutting up and everything already. The game, the game wasn't a classic, but it's a typical Poirier goal. He's coming out of the blue and scoring like he does from midfield. And again, now others are trying to make their way forward. Desai wants it played inside. And it's Poirier with his right foot and Chelsea scored. Chelsea have scored. We laugh so much afterwards because the game was sponsored by one of the UEFA sponsors, which was something like Hyundai or something. And Gus won a minibus <laughs> as man of the match. So as we were saying, we're like, well, we'll get the plane, Gus. You have to drive back from Monaco with the minibus. And we're like, what are you going to do with the minibus? So I still don't know to this day what he did with the minibus, but it's probably somewhere in Uruguay or something, serving a local community. <laughs> I always regarded it as a, as a you know, a fantastic uh, win for all of us because obviously in that period that Chelsea was building up his reputation in Europe and, uh, you know, that was a great uh, stamp you know, beating the, the, the Champions League uh, winners, also Real Madrid. I mean, we're not talking about a normal team. You know, it was, uh, it was great. Also, we played very well. So I think it's uh, the whole team, the whole club uh, went on a different level after that, uh, that performance. Chelsea had lifted three trophies in fewer than six months and made an impression not just on these shores, but further afield, too. The Blues were becoming a force to be reckoned with, at home and abroad. So why did that team manage to be so successful? I think we were, we were a very good, good group, apart from the, the ability of the players. There the, the, the were a lot of very skilled players, but we had a fantastic atmosphere with the team, and everyone used to get on with each other very, very well. And, that uh, made uh, a lot of uh, difference, you know. It's um, it's not that just to say that because I have to say is uh, is the reality. We we were very uh, a very good unit. I think it was the closeness of of the group. You know, we become very friendly. We still talk a lot of us. You know, get on very well. Um, so many of us are, are very close, and I think that was that was a special thing about it. The closeness, although there was a, a lot of different nationalities and all over the place. Um, but we gelled together and um, we had a real good good team uh, that wanted to win and wanted to achieve something and some really good characters within that team as well. We were very fortunate to be able to have the, the characters within the dressing room, uh, the talent within the dressing room, um, to be able to put something together, and something special and something that you look back on in life and say, special moments. As the captain, Wise had a huge role to play. 
I wanted everyone to speak English. I wanted everyone to understand each other. If there was a problem, um, say it, please. It was, it was easier to say it. Uh, I didn't want groups. I think groups create a bad atmosphere. Um, prefer people to say it as it is, and that was important, and that was something that we made sure that when they came in the door they would speak English or, or try to learn English and, and not speak uh, other languages. Also, we would, they would sing. There was a singing thing that they had to do, and it was probably, that was the most scariest thing of, of their um, playing for Chelsea. They come in and they had to sing in front of everyone. They're out of their comfort zone, but they all done it. And um, I think we cared about each other. I think it was important that I think Luca first came over and I remember taking him for, we going for dinner and going to pictures with me and my wife Claire, you know, uh, because we didn't want to leave him on his own. And um, yeah, so just things like that, that was important. It was important for all of us to, to make sure that we was in the comfort of everyone else and, and the environment was, was a nice environment and it was, and it was important. We were lucky to have a captain in Dennis Wise. We also had some other strong characters from, from England that played in England for many years. So even though we had a lot of foreign players, they kind of got us into the English culture and um, we managed to play in an English way with, with all the experience we had from, from abroad. So um, that helped us both in the English league and when we played in Europe. We had a great spirit in the change rooms and I think that was, you know, don't get me wrong, we had some top class players, even the, the players that came through the academy, the likes of Andy Myers, Jody Morris, Michael Dubry, you know, myself, Eddie Newton mm. and people like that. That was, that was uh, one thing about us, we had a great spirit about the team but we also had good quality and we played decent football as well. You know, it was a wonderful feeling because when, obviously when I first went to, to join the football club, uh, the team changed so much from, from the team I, I joined you know, to the team that developed and, and become the team in the 90s, you know, so to the end part of the 90s. Um, and the quality that, that come through the door gradually was very pleasing to see. And uh, it, it changed, it changed the whole of Chelsea and the, the way that it was, the thinking and the mentality of the players, thinking, right, we can win things now, so let's carry on winning things. And they've carried on even more. These former players and many more will reconvene later this month to take part in a Chelsea Legends match to celebrate their historic achievements 20 years ago now. The game against Inter Forever will take place in memory of Ray Wilkins, who tragically died in April. Ray had been associated with Chelsea Football Club for so much of his life, and he worked with many of the class of 98 when he joined as Gianluca Viali's assistant the following year. So it will be an evening of commemoration and celebration at Stamford Bridge. And needless to say, those involved can't wait to be back in blue. To run out on uh, the Stamford Bridge pitch again, that would be amazing. And as I hear, it's going to be quite a lot of people watching. So uh, it's going to be fantastic, really. It's going to bring back a lot of memories. I hope we can find each other really well out, uh, out on the pitch. And I think we will. Uh, we will not be as fit as we were, obviously. It's going to go a bit slower, but we're going to have a lot of fun. Of course, it's going to be special for me to wear this Chelsea shirt. You know, I, I loved playing for Chelsea. Uh, every, every moment of the day was a wonderful time for me when I was here. And um, it, it was great. And it's, it's going to be a wonderful day. It's going to be great for, for all of us, I think, you know, that's, that's able to play and been asked to play in this game. I believe everyone will be thrilled to be out there and hopefully having fans uh, cheering us up. It'd be amazing. It'd be nice to catch up with the boys over a night and you know speak with them and chat with them and then prepare into a game. I'm looking forward to seeing the physical condition of half of them because <laughs> I'm not sure some of them are going to be in the best shape. <laughs> Wise will be in good shape, he always is, he doesn't stop running but I think Robbie's but he's starting to look after himself. Torre's in good shape, but his hips are in all sorts of trouble. You know, at the end of the day, that, uh, you know, I think the competitive side will come out of everybody in the end, but, you know, it's, it's not about that. It's, it's about getting together, I think, uh, and, and, and celebrating some, a special time in Chelsea's history.
Kings of 98 is a Chelsea Football Club production written, produced and narrated by Rupert Kane, with image created by Ben Harris. Chelsea, Chelsea is the way. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea is the way. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea.